if you are given the choice to invest in either Bitcoin, gold, real estate, or stocks two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and you chose Bitcoin, you would be the winner today. But what does that mean going forward? Should you invest in Bitcoin if you haven't? Should you continue to invest in Bitcoin if you've been doing so? Stay tuned. This is Thrive 1110 with Bold Care A of Bold Care Financial, guiding you toward business success and bringing clarity to personal finance. This is Thrive 1110. Welcome to Thrive 1110. This is the show where you get Bible-friendly, practical tips on business and money so you can thrive. And as you do so, remember the Lord your God who enables you to thrive by being an agent of transformation for His purposes in your family, in your community, and in your city. I'm Bol Kere, your host, and you can catch up on previous episodes of Thrive 1110 by going on the chri.ca website or thrive1110.ca. And you can also catch up on Thrive 1110. Um, through your favorite podcast outlet like Spotify, Google Podcast, etc. This show is brought to you by Bold Care Financial, and Bold Care Financial um, helps Christian entrepreneurs and professionals um, um, discern and take their next right step in their finances and in their business, so they can avoid costly mistakes and be prepared for their approaching life transitions. So. Before, uh, without further ado, let's continue. Should you or should you not invest in Bitcoin? And I was saying that if you had invested, if you had uh, bet, if I can use this term, um, on Bitcoin two years ago uh, or three years ago or five years ago, um, 10 years ago, even 12 years ago, you would have been the winner in terms of return on your investment in today's date. So Bitcoin has outperformed all the other investment classes, asset classes, like gold, real estate, be it like solid real estate or paper real estate or stocks, etc. Bitcoin has really outperformed all of them if we take an average yearly return uh, going back two years ago, five years ago, etc. So what does that mean? It simply means that uh, really, um, even with risk adjustments, so what that simply means is even when you factor in the volatility, um, the huge swings up and down that Bitcoin has seen over the past year or so, it is still the winner in terms of um, um, return on investment. If you had invested in it two years ago, and uh, three years ago, going backwards, all the way up till actually when Bitcoin first um, was introduced in 2009. Uh, so, so I want to talk about that a, a bit today and um, explain a bit what uh, Bitcoin is, crypto in general. And then um, I'll share my take on this. Um, this past year, yeah, past year and a half, Bitcoin went from really high, high levels like uh, 70,000 70, Canadian dollars, 75,000 Canadian dollars um, for one Bitcoin to now uh, being actually uh, sold. Um, you can buy that at 30,000 Canadian dollars for one Bitcoin. Now, the good news is, or good news depending on, on which side uh, you 
you stand, you can buy fractions of Bitcoin. It doesn't mean you have to have $30,000 today in order to buy Bitcoin. You can buy fractions of Bitcoin. You can buy 20 bucks worth of Bitcoin, 100 bucks worth of Bitcoin, etc. Now, uh, people saw the huge drop during the, the past year and a half, Bitcoin going from those historic highs like 70,000 Canadian to today being like 30,000 Canadian saying, well, no, it is not a good investment. But really, if you just go back two years, three years, etc., like I was saying, it has proven to be the best investment, the best investment, even when we weed out the volatility um, actually, when we factor in the volatility and try to see which asset class performed the best um, according to the risk that was taken, which uh, asset class performed the best, Bitcoin comes ahead and way ahead of the others. It is not just like they're close to the others. It is way ahead of the others like gold, real estate, stocks, etc. So what is Bitcoin. Um, in order to answer this question so that you can get a, a better sense of what Bitcoin is and maybe have your answer for yourself if you should invest in it, I promised I'll give you my take on it, but um, it's, it's good for you to understand what Bitcoin is and, what, and why it exists, actually. Um, it's good for your own assessment of Bitcoin that you understand this. And in order for you to understand what Bitcoin is, I need to go back and just give you a crash course on money. Um, if you know money, you use money every day for your transactions. Uh, money land in your bank account digitally. You use it to pay for goods and services that you consume, etc. So basically, money is value. So you exchange money for things that are of value to you. And everybody agrees that the money that is being exchanged holds or has a given value. That's why you can actually use it uh, to buy goods and services that um, you need, or that you want. And as you do that, those people that you give money to, they can in turn use that uh, in exchange for goods and services that they want. And that's how the economy works. What you spend is what another person earns, and so on and so forth. And money is used for that as a means of exchange. Now, historically, money has not always been that digital or paper money that we have today, but it has been all sorts of things like animals, um, uh, all the way from animals to, to precious metals like gold, silver, etc. And um, over time, Obviously, people uh, starting to travel more and exchange more, carrying precious metals um, or these types of means of exchange around in order to make transactions became not practical. So what started happening is um, a, an entity, a party would keep those things in store for you. In exchange, they would give you paper like a certificate or something like that, a receipt or some something like that. That would be easier for you to carry around and make your transactions knowing that actually you have something backing that paper. 
something that is stored, that tangible means of exchange has been stored for you backing that paper that you're using for transactions. And that made it way more practical for you and I because um, then you could just carry this receipt, this note, this certificate, and, um, and, uh, and make your transactions everywhere you go and exchange that way. Now, over time, as we progress in history, it happened in the time of like geopolitical tensions and everything that for for many reasons that I really can't go into during today's episode, um, money became only the paper and the stuff that used to back your money. So these actual precious metals or, or physical things that use used to back your money did no longer exist. In other words, you are now required to trust that the person giving you that paper, that note, that receipt, or whatever, has the means to fulfill the promise of giving you the equivalent in value. Uh, so basically, if I confuse you, let me, let, let me sum it up here. We went from a system where the paper money that was used for transactions um, was backed by physical stuff like gold to a place where that same paper money was no longer backed by gold by simply, uh, um, but by simply the promise that, yes, we government say that it has value. The paper that you have in your hand has value. And we decree that if you have that paper in your hand, even if you can't come back to us, government, and say, hey, give me my gold equivalent of this paper, um, even if you don't have that, we decree that as long as you have this paper, trust us, government, that we have everything under control and that everybody is required to accept your piece of paper as a means of exchange. And that's how uh, fiat money was born. Fiat money is simply a word to say that it is money that has value by decree. It is no longer that it is backed by anything, but it is just backed by the word of government by decree. Everybody has to accept it if another person comes and, and tends you, um, hands you that paper money. You have to accept it because by decree it has value. So that's how we got to our paper bills right now. And uh, from there, we migrated into a digital world. So instead of carrying paper, it became all centralized in uh, the computer. And uh, when I say centralized, it simply means that uh, uh, you have your money written to you um, in the computer and you can spend it from the computer. And uh, they found a way to make sure that you cannot double spend the money that you have in the computer, meaning um, if you have $1, you cannot spend that $1 both in store A and in store B. No, you spend it once. So they keep a ledger. So they keep kind of a book that keeps account of everybody's accounts. Um, so in that central book that the banks have, they know what you have. They know what you spend where you spend it, and they control that. So today they can say, hey, uh, we are closing your account. We are freezing your account. We are increasing the supply of money overall in the country so that people can spend more, etc., etc." et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, 
So that's what happens with fiat money that is centralized. So the problem with that is obviously when you have one entity that is supposed to be representing the people, but with such controls that they can decide to increase the flow of money in a society, to print more money, so to speak, even if it is not necessarily paper money, but digital money, to print more money, to, to bring more money in existence out of thin air. So nothing is backing that up. Well, it devalues what is already out there in the market. If you have something that has a given value and all of a sudden you have way more of that same thing in the same environment, suddenly what you had becomes less valuable. And that's the risk. And that's what we've been seeing, crisis after crisis, and the latest one being COVID. Uh, governments increased the supply of money, and we are caught with the aftermath of that here, inflation, meaning things are costing higher. Or should I say, the money that we all had got devalued, and now we have to use more of that money to acquire the same goods. So these are risks. In addition to those central authorities being able to take authoritative measures and freeze your accounts whenever they want, well, these are the risks that fiat money poses. And obviously, it means that we are based on a system that uses debt a lot. Debt increases and increases. Very recently, there, there were these talks about the U.S. government uh, breaking the ceiling and, and, keep, and, and keeping on going and piling on debt. So when will this end? And how much value will the money that you and I have will hold as we go forward? And that's what Bitcoin came to solve. This show is brought to you by Bold Care Financial. Helping you, Christian entrepreneurs and professionals, discern and take the next right step with your money and business so you can uncover your blind spots, avoid costly mistakes, and move forward with clarity, being prepared for your approaching goals and life transitions. I'm trying to answer the question, should you invest in Bitcoin going forward? Maybe you've done in the past, maybe you're considering it, maybe you're afraid of it, you don't know what it is. So the question is, should you invest in Bitcoin going forward? If you had invested in it two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, you would be holding the best performing asset class, the best performing investment class, and by far, compared to gold, real estate, stocks, etc. So should you invest in it going forward? And I started explaining why Bitcoin exists. And in order to do that, I talked about money. And I gave you a really quick improvisation of how money works. Um, I could do a more polished job at that, but I think you get the idea. And I, I went to that length just to explain why Bitcoin was invented, was created. So Bitcoin was created to counter the idea that one central entity can control and dictate what happens with money in a country, in an economy. So instead of the money system that we have right now, which is centralized, and where governments, central banks can decide to print money, hence devaluating the money that we already have, which causes inflation and all of these things, Bitcoin was born 
to become a decentralized money system instead of being a centralized money system as it is right now. A decentralized money system is to say that no one person, no one entity can control what happens with Bitcoin. No single individual or groups of people can say, hey, uh, let's print more Bitcoin. Let's create more Bitcoin. Or let's seize the Bitcoin accounts. No entity can do that because it is decentralized. And the other problem that Bitcoin pretended to solve was the question of limitation of scarcity. Fiat money can be printed. The supply of fiat money, the money that we're using today, can be increased as central banks want, as governments want, for various reasons. But Bitcoin was created in a way that there is only a limited amount that can be created, that can be issued. So you have centralization with fiat money versus decentralization with Bitcoin. You have scarcity with Bitcoin versus infinite possibility of printing with fiat money that we're using today. So these are some key characteristics that Bitcoin comes with to try to be a solution to the current money system that we have that causes various problems that I really don't have time to really go into in much detail today. But Bitcoin pretends to be the solution to the money problems, to the system, the money system that we have today and uh, be decentralized so that you and I can actually exchange value without having to depend on a central entity to control the flow of money to control the transactions and to record the trans- to 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 uh, register the transactions into a ledger that they control but you would say well okay if there's no central entity how can we make sure that in the bitcoin or how does the bitcoin system solve the problem of not being able to double spend so if i have a bitcoin how 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 does the Bitcoin system make it so that I cannot spend that same Bitcoin uh, with uh, merchant A and then later on with merchant B? And the answer is Bitcoin is decentralized and there's a ledger that everybody sees. Everybody that has a computer can access the Bitcoin ledger and see the transactions. And those transactions are made so that they are not reversible and they are very, very, very hard to counterfeit. In other words, it's technically, practically impossible to to counterfeit those transactions so that it gives that stability and that validity that nobody can double spend. And instead of having one central authority having an eye on the ledger, on the book of transactions, everybody has an eye on the book of transactions. Now, it doesn't mean that Because everybody has access to this ledger, this Bitcoin ledger, they can know who spends what or who sends what to who. No, they only see addresses because that's how it works. If you have Bitcoin, you have an address and money transactions. So Bitcoin transactions can be traced from one address 
to another address and from that other address to another address, etc. So that's how everything is visible on the ledger. So you don't necessarily know who is behind those addresses, but you can see those transactions taking place. And uh, back in 2010, the first transaction registered on that Bitcoin ledger, fun fact, was a guy that bought two pizzas with 10,000 Bitcoins. Two pizzas with 10,000 Bitcoins. Can you can you imagine that today one Bitcoin is worth $30,000 Canadian dollars? And back then in 2010, he bought two pizzas with 10,000 Bitcoins. It's just crazy. So should you invest in that today? Let's transition to our Let's Get Practical section. Bold. Let's get practical. Goldman Sachs, that is one of the major financial institutions, major banks located in the U.S. Today, um, actually not today, a few days ago, um, said that Bitcoin in this year, 2023, for, for the month of January, has been the higher performing asset class. So major financial institutions are actually including Bitcoin as part of the investment tools, as part of the asset classes that they can offer first to their very wealthy clients and maybe eventually to people, everyday people like you and I. Institutions have started adopting Bitcoin as a means to store value. I said at the opening of this episode that Bitcoin is actually the asset class that held its value the best, even factoring the risks. If we go back just two years, three years, 10 years, and by far, just to give you the magnitude, if I go back at the end of September 2022, and I try to compare Bitcoin to stock, real estate, gold, and cash, the second best performing asset is stock, not even real estate stocks, S&P 500. And if you take a 10-year average, so over 10 years, if you had invested 10 years ago, so 2012, you invested in the S&P 500, that's US stocks. By September 2022, you would have had a gain of 130%. So your money would have increased by 130%. Now imagine the same thing with Bitcoin. S&P 500 stock, it's 130%. Bitcoin, it is 15,500. We're not even talking hundreds. We're talking, we're not even talking simple thousand. We're talking 15,500%. And the second best, 130%. Huge gap. If you just go back, maybe you're saying, okay, okay, 10 years is really too far. Let's go back five years. If you invested five years, five years ago, the second best would still be stocks, and you would be at 53% return on your investment. With Bitcoin, you would be at 564% over a five-year period. If you go back, okay, say, but bull, in the recent year and a half, we've seen how Bitcoin tumbled and really lost a lot of value. So let's go back uh, with an investment you made two years ago. If you had invested two years ago, S&P 500, so that stocks would have been the second best performing asset. 
you'd have been up by 17%. With Bitcoin, you'd still be up by 93%. It is huge. So should you invest in Bitcoin? If you have more money than you need, if you have a financial plan on track, if there's money that you can afford to lose because you can live comfortably today and in the future without it, why not use that portion of money that you can afford to lose, that you don't need to invest in a little bit of Bitcoin? Why not? Worst case scenario, you lose it. Best case scenario, if the future continues like it has been, well, you'd be sitting on one of the best performing asset classes. And that's in a situation where the population has not yet adopted Bitcoin as a store of value and as a means of exchange. That's in a context where many institutions are actually still waiting for governments to regulate on Bitcoin to jump on board of the wagon. So when that happens, what do you think will happen with the price of Bitcoin? When major institutions and organizations, because it is even more regulated, decide to jump on it because they see the inherent value, merits in Bitcoin, and the population in general starts adopting Bitcoin more and more, not as means of speculation and making money quick, that's not what I'm talking about, but because they start to see inherent value in Bitcoin, they start to see and understand that there are true problems that Bitcoin could be a solution, that Bitcoin could be the internet of money. When more and more people start seeing this, which is not the case right now, because the governments have regulated it, what would happen to your investment? Worst case scenario, you lose it, but you're ready for it. And it's okay. Best case scenario, you've, in, you've invested in something for the future. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we learn from Solomon that we should diversify our investments. What if you diversified and included Bitcoin in your portfolio? Now, I'm not saying go ahead and put your money in Bitcoin just blindly do that. No, that's not what I'm saying. And don't say Bolt said that. I said, if you have more than enough, if you already have more than enough, if you have surpluses, if you have a plan that is already in place that you're following, you're giving, you have plans for the future and you have surpluses, why not use some of that? To invest in Bitcoin. Now, the details of that, uh, the proportions, what percentage should you invest, etc., have that discussion with your advisor. And if you don't have one, reach out to me, bold at thrive1110.com, or go to the thrive1110.ca website and send me a message from there. If you need a plan, if you want to assess your situation and see if it is a good idea for you in your particular situation to do that. Again, I could be wrong. I could be totally mistaken, but why not? Consult with your advisor. If you don't have one, reach out. You can do it. It's in your hands. We'll support you. So take courage and do it. I know you can do it. That's my action call for you. Consult with your advisor. If you don't have one, reach out. Why not? Folks, you've been listening to Thrive 1110. 
This is Bol Kere, your host. I'm thankful that you're here. Go on the website, thrive1110.ca. Let me know that you've been listening. It's always encouraging. And we will be connected again in a week from now. Take care. Bye-bye. When honest people prosper, the whole city celebrates. Thrive 1110. To learn more or to connect with Bold, go to thrive1110.ca.